0: And for this month and this month only, we're going to be tying into the Sunday messages as well. So it'll do you well uh, to check out the messages before you come on Thursday. Those are online. And we're going to try to do a a deeper dive. And as you look at the handout, we're going to go through the top two thirds of that very quickly because I want to spend the time on the bottom section there. But we're just going to build a foundation today. And I want us to be able to see that work is intended by God to be a gift. But we don't see work as a gift, do we? Like a lot of times work is, we see it in other ways. We're going to talk about the ways that we see that, but why do we see it that way? Well, it's because of what happens that Curtis alluded to in the beginning with the fall. And so let's take a look at that. Why is work so difficult for for so much of the time? Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 17. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made from for you are made from dust, and to dust you shall return. And we're going to come back to this, and we're going to do a, a deep dive into that at the end. But for, for now, I just want us to see you know, one of the reasons that work is difficult for us, that it is frustrating, that it is unfulfilling, is because the direct result of sin was to devastate and mar what God had given to us as a gift. God intended for us to join with him. We're going to talk about that gift in a little bit. But sin comes in and it twists it and it it mars it. That's what sin does in every area of your life. Like when we talk about a man and his battles, every one of the things that we battle is because sin takes something that God gives to us to be a gift and it twists it and it devastates it and it changes it. And that's what sin does to our work as well. And so, there's some things about work that we don't like. So, like, number one, work is hard. Like, for a lot of us, you know, we look forward to the weekend or we look forward to retirement because work's hard. Maybe it's physically hard. Maybe you've got a physical job. Maybe it's, it's mentally hard. Uh, maybe it's relationally hard. Like, maybe some of you, uh, you're retired and God has given you a different kind of work now. Maybe it's with grandkids or your spouse or your community and that's more difficult than anything you ever got paid to do. I mean, work can be really hard for us because of the impact of sin. Uh, work will make us face our inadequacies and our inabilities. You now, one of the reasons that we sometimes fail to be all that God is calling us to be is because for us to be who God calls us to be, it requires us, to acknowledge our weakness and depend on God. But a lot of us men, because of pride, we would rather take the easy route and be less than God has called us to be than to be face hard things and realize, I can't do this by myself. When you look at the results of sin in Genesis 3, the things that we all face, fear, shame, and blame. Those are the three results of sin, right? They're afraid, so they run into the woods. Uh, they cover themselves because they're full of shame, and they blame one another. When I think about the impact of our workplaces. And not just the thing that we get paid to do, but the, all the kinds of work that God has for us. I think about how the, the work is devastated by those three things. I, I'm afraid to to fail so I don't take risk. I don't try hard things. I just stay safe and complacent. Uh, I'm ashamed of my inability to, d- to do more or my failures or my weaknesses, and I, I blame other people. And, and we're g- I'm going to talk about that in a second, of how that is devastating us, this, this propensity to blame other people. And really, it's hard because a lot of times the effort we put in doesn't bring the fruit that we want, right? Uh, another thing about work is that work's not always fun. Like, we have to do things that we don't like to do. You know, I talk to my, my kids and, and some of the, uh, the teenagers and even some of the, the younger people that I that work with in their 20s. I'm like, work is not always going to be fun. Like, you, you don't get to only do the things that you want to do. <laughs> like, sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do because it's part of the responsibility. Uh, we have to deal with people that we don't want to be around. We have to deal with people that are difficult to deal with, and, and we're going to talk about that. And sometimes we have to sacrifice time that we would rather spend on other things. Work is difficult, number three, because we have to put up with junk. You know, maybe you've got a lack of resources. If you, Maybe you're in sales uh, and your company is giving you a quota, but you don't feel like you have the product or the advertising or the, the management or the— you know, the resources to sell that product or, you know, you don't feel like the customer service is coming behind you and pulling their their weight or maybe your boss is, you know, not giving you the things or the people resources or the, the financial resources you need to do your job. Uh, one of the things, I don't know anything about this, that we have to get a, deal with people that get mad, right? Like, You know, church is just this wonderful, you know, fairytale place where nobody gets mad ever. I just feel really bad for you guys who have to deal with people who get mad. We experience failure. Uh, How about this? People get credit that we should get. And a lot of times in our work, and I talk to a lot of you guys about this often, is that you have have businesses uh, where your boss or your coworkers or customers do things that are unethical. And you got to try to wrestle with that. And what do I do with that? And it makes work hard. But despite all these things, and I hope that you hear, hear me on this, this, this has become a, like a life mantra for me. Guys, we cannot be victims to our circumstances. I mean, if I could just drive that into all of our hearts and brains, you cannot be a victim. To your circumstances. Well, and, and let me put it this way, just to be blunt, because on these Thursday mornings, we, we kind of get to be real with each other. Like, we have got to stop whining. Like, we've got to grow up and put our big boy pants on and say, God, what have you called me to do where I'm at? And I'm talking about all the work, the work you have to do at home, in your marriage, uh, in your parenting, whether you've got young kids or grown kids or grandkids. Uh, with in our churches you know I don't I don't want to be a part of a church forever and ever where the women far outnumber the men who are working for the kingdom we've got to in our workplaces where if we do get paid that we've got to stop whining and, and being a victim to the circumstances and step up and say God I The reality is I cannot do this, but that's why I'm leaning into you because you can. Because this is what 1 John 4, chapter 4, verse 4 says, that the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And at some point, if we're followers of Jesus, we're going to have to either believe that or not and step out there and say, I'm going to face this without the whining, without this victim mentality, and be who God's called me to be. And I want us to see that in all of it, there is a grace, not just a, like a, just barely enough, but an abundant grace that God is giving us to do this work and to receive in this work. And, and I'll tell you, like I look around the room. I know a lot of you, you're, you're, you're retired, so you're no longer getting paid to do a work. But retirement is not in the Bible. Like, there's nowhere in, in the Bible where it's like put in your years and then you can coast through the rest of your life. Work is embedded in the calling upon us as men of God, and if you 're sitting at home on the in the recliner in your lazy boy or on the sofa and you 've checked out, let me just issue the call to you it 's time to wake up and there 's work to be done and listen even even you guys i 'm not going to sugarcoat it even if you are you have a you 're getting older and you've got health problems and things like that like Call somebody over to your house and say, Can I, I want to visit with you. There, there's some things that have happened in my life that I, I want to share with you. I want you to learn from my failures instead of you experiencing some failures. Like there's always a work for us to do. And we need to be a part of it, engage in it and a part of it and experience the grace in it. So where's the grace? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I'm really trying to get through this because I want to hone in on that end of it. Verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. I touched on this on Sunday. I want you to notice the progression. God pursues you. Allows you to receive him. When you receive him by faith, we are saved. In being saved, we are transformed. And being transformed, then and only then are we enabled to do the work that God has for us. Too much of the time, we've got the whole thing flipped upside down. We're trying to do the work to earn God's favor that we can get into heaven. It does not work that way. Flip it right side up. Let God speak to you, hear his voice, respond to his voice, trust in him, have faith, which by the way, by definition means you are not going to know what comes next. Like a lot of us, the reason we're not willing to take risk in this, this fail, fear of failure that we have is, well, I don't know where that's going to lead. That's faith. Faith means you don't know where it's going to lead. <laughs> and so we're going to have to be willing to do the right thing and, and listen to the voice of God and follow him in all areas of work, trusting Him, and on the other side of that, we are enabled by the Spirit of God, who is greater than in us than the one that's in the world, to do the works that God has for us. And there's, God is going to enable you to do what He's called you to do, but you will never know that if you're not willing to step out and take a risk to follow Him. Uh, way too many of us are playing it safe. You know, unwilling to speak out, unwilling to invest in somebody, unwilling to lead at home, unwilling to serve in the church. What, what if I mess it up? Well, you probably are going to mess it up, but that's why God's grace is greater than our, the, the sin in us that he redeems it. So God is giving grace. God has a plan for you. God gives you power to do what he's called you to do. All right, so why don't we see work as the gift that God has given us. How do we see work? Well, there's some of the ways that we often see work. We just need to name it so we can dismiss it and stop seeing work this way. One of the ways we see it is a means to an end. Sometimes we see it as just, I got to get paid. I got to get that paycheck. Well, you know what? This is a pretty, more, pretty disappointing way to live. You know, if you, even statistically, you look at the statistics. After a Uh, A certain threshold, which is way lower, it's something like, I think the most recent was somewhere like $60,000 family income threshold. After that, like the happiness quotient does not increase anymore after you hit that mark. But a lot of us, we're just like chasing some magical number that we think, if I can make this money, then everything's going to be okay. And, And we're disappointed and unfulfilled, and we wonder why that is. Another way we see work is just as a responsibility. And it is a responsibility in part, but we're missing a major component of it. If you're only seeing work as a responsibility, you're missing the lasting component of it. That it's not just about a responsibility, but it's about a purpose. You know, and I really wish that, the, that we as men of God would be more willing to embrace passion than duty. And I think a lot of us, we're trying to parent out of a sense of duty. We're trying to be husbands out of a sense of duty. We're trying to do work out of a sense of duty, and we have no passion. And that is a a spiritual issue. It's not something you do with five easy steps. It's something where you get on your knees and say, God, I need you to put a fire in my belly for what you've called me to do as a husband, as a dad, as a man. And it will change your, your whole world when we begin to live with passion and not just duty. Uh, another way, and this might be the most dangerous, is we see work as validation. You know, getting, work, getting validation from work is short-lived, it is unstable, and it puts other people in control. And, you know, we've all heard this, and it's kind of a cliche, but isn't it true? Like, when, when you die... One day, they're going to replace you, like, within a week or two. And yet, we well, you spent your whole life thinking that this is your everything. This thing that I get paid to do. This is my everything. You know, this gives me my worth. It gives me my value. And so a lot of us, if we're honest, like, we're checking out at home. We're not loving and leading our wives. We're not loving and leading our kids. We, we are... You know, just pouring everything into our work because we think that validates us and it makes us more of a man. When the most important work that God has given us is getting brushed to the side. And and I know this to be true because I'm not going to call names, but I've talked to many of you who regret that in the season of life that you're in. You know, and, and some of the younger guys I'm looking at the room, like older guys, grab one of these guys in their 20s or 30s or 40s. Talk to them about what you've experienced. Don't let them get into their 50s and 60s and 70s and regret the most important work got undone. We can't let validation become this driving force in our work because there's only one who can validate you. And it's not your boss, it's not a customer, it's the one who made you. Sometimes we see work, number four, as an escape. We can see work as an escape from the harder things. You know, because sometimes the hardest work are the th- is the things we don't get paid for. And it's so much easier to just kind of go check out and do something I know I'm good at and get paid for and get validated for than to do the harder work in my church or in my home or in my neighborhood or my community. And, and I don't want us to be men who check out and escape the most important work. So what I want us to see Is that work is a gift and I want you to embrace it. You know, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 is where work enters the picture. Verses 26 through 28, it says, God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God said, he blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. And I want us to notice here that work, a couple of things about it. It enters the world, is it before or after sin? Before. Right, Genesis one is before Genesis three. It's entering the world before sin has entered creation. It is intended to be a good thing. The second thing that I want us to know is how intimately our work is tied into our relationship with God. I mean, it, it, it's in the very same verse God said, "We're going to create him." In our image, we're going to, literally it means we're going to make imagers of God in creation we're to reflect him. And then the very next thing that it says is one of the ways we're going to do that is to govern and reign over and take care of. So that part of our connection with God is the work that we do to, to and we're going to talk about what this looks like, but to do the things that God has, as we talked about Sunday, designed for us, but also connect us to him. Remember we talked about Sunday, that God's designed a work for you to do, so you're able to do it. But it's connected to God and the things that only He can do. That the greatest things that we do in our work are the things that we can't even do, but we're pointing to God. And so we want to embrace that. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about you know, what that looks like, to see it as a platform. Hunter's going to preach about that Sunday. Uh, we're going to see how it refines us. We're going to see how it's a response to God. Work makes a terrible idol but it's a great opportunity to worship God. And we're gonna talk about that. So, but how do we see it as a gift? How do we use it as a gift? Number one, we're gonna use it to bless others. God uses work to bless others. Every work, I don't care what your work is, whether you get paid to do it or not, every act of work is an opportunity to bless other people, coworkers, bosses, employees, customers, neighbors, family members, church members, every work is an opportunity to bless God. And for us to be able to do this, we've got to make a huge reversal. And if we can make this reversal, it will set us apart from 99.99% of the population. And this is what that reversal is. We must, as men of God, stop trying to get things from people and start bringing things to people. We have got to stop trying to get validation from others, trying to get respect from others, trying to get worth from others, trying to get credit from others, trying to get rewards from others. Most 99.99% of the population lives that, their life that way. What have you done for me lately? What can you do for me? How can you make me feel better? And you know what that is? That's weakness. We are living living as weak men when we are coming with asking for what God has already offered to us from other people, and then we put them in charge of our lives. That's why we compromise. That's why we make unethical decisions. That's why we become passive. That's why we miss all the things that God's called us to do in our work is because we let some other human being who's not my creator be responsible for lifting me up. And so what what am I doing? I'm making that person a God, and whatever they want me to do, I'll do. And we've got to stop living that way. Instead saying, God's already given me worth. He's already given me purpose. He's already given me gifts. He's already given me strength. He's already given me a calling, and I can bring that to you. In every relationship, in your marriage, in your work, in your parenting, in your friendships, that's how we bless others. And we begin to see every opportunity, every interaction as a moment to bring that worth to another person. Even the, even the people that are driving you crazy, that's a child of God that you can bring a blessing to. Number two, God uses work to make things right, to make things right, that in our work, whatever it is, whether we get paid to do it or not, we, can, we are about setting things right in the world, in the, in the practices, and the systems, and the procedures, and your decision making in your conversations, you know, one of the the greatest things of, of what you can do in your work, wherever that might be, is to live your life chasing after the heart of God, like some very simple things like refusing to engage in gossip, refusing to engage in blame, refusing to engage in compromise or unethical behaviors. Refusing to put yourself first, but to lift others up. Just the way you live and your commitments to character and the heart of God is just one of the many ways that we can move to make things right in the world around us. And then look for opportunities to go above and beyond to bring justice to others. You know, God and his interactions with others, Jesus was always concerned about two things, justice and mercy. Are we, are we looking to bring justice and mercy to our customers, to our bosses, to our coworkers, to our family, to our neighbors, to the people we go to church with to help make things right? Because you know what sometimes we do? Like we see something wrong and we're like, well, that's none of my business. Like that's not my job. Well, then why did God bring it across your path? If God brings something across your path and you've got the, the ability And the understanding and the opportunity, why would we not seize that opportunity to try to bring justice to a person's life and and, and bring love and mercy by making it right? Sometimes the greatest work you do is not what's on your job description. But you have an opportunity, like Hunter's going to talk about this week, a platform. Number three, God uses work to develop me. And we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But I just, here's some things we're going to talk about. God uses work to humble me. Anybody ever experienced that? God uses work to teach me. He's going to use work to encourage me. He's going to use work to strengthen me. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But here's, here's the most important part of it all, is that God uses work to draw me into him. And we touched on this Sunday, but I want to go a little bit deeper. All right, so in Genesis chapter 3, this is where the fall is. So let's break this down. God has created everything. We're imagers of him. We're reflecting him in creation. And there's a a spiritual component to this that our eyes don't see. But even now, there's angels and there's the heavenly court that are part of God's creation. And there's been at least one battle take place because one of those angels— and the Old Testament calls the, the accuser, the Hasitan, Diabolos, the devil, has rejected God. He wants to he wants to be God. And he is angry that God has created a component of his world to reflect and image him, and it wasn't Satan. He created man and woman to be his imager and the creation. And this, this fallen angel is angry, and he wants to take out this, these imagers of God. And so he goes to Eve, and he deceives her. Did God really say? And he indwells this serpent. He you know, possesses this spirit, and he has this conversation with her, and he deceives her. But where's Adam? He's right there. In the Hebrew, it says he's elbow to elbow with her. And for the first time in creation, we see the passive man. He's been given charge to reign over, to have dominion, to protect, to deliver the word of God to her, and he's elbow to elbow her to her. Now, let me just—we just talked about this. Why does Adam become passive? It's because he's turned to Eve rather than God for his validation, his worth, his purpose. And so, whatever she does, he's just going to go right along with it. Like whatever you want, dear. All right, happy wife, happy life, rather than leaving her. He becomes passive. He goes right along, and he falls in, which, by the way, is why God speaks to Adam and not Eve. She was deceived, and he chose. And so God speaks to Adam, and he says, why did you do this? And then we see fear, shame, and blame. And then we see the fallout of sin. And I want you to notice there's two curses. And there's two consequences. Neither of the curses are on humanity. Who gets the curses? Ground. The ground. And who else? The serpent. the serpent. Why is it that humans don't receive the curse? It's because a recursive of God is an irrevocable move of God. So one day there's going to be a new creation. Why? Because the ground has been cursed. Death had to be defeated by Jesus because the, the ground was cursed and death entered the world. It's irrevocable. The serpent was cursed because he rebelled against God. He, he went after humanity to strike at the heart of God. And so the serpent was cursed. And we know that at the end of time, if you look at the Re- book of Revelation, that Satan is not just going to be in hell, but there's going to be a lake of fire with eternal damnation where he will reside. And all who follow after him. Which is why if we don't have faith in Christ, if his, if his righteousness is not imparted on us by faith, then that's where we will live our eternity. But thank God for his grace that his, his righteousness can be imparted on us by faith, that we can be with God for eternity. But the curse was on the ground and upon Satan, not upon humanity, because God want, wanted to embed grace even into the consequence of what he gives to Adam and Eve. I mean, I think about some of the things that God did, preparing for this moment. You know, He makes everything out in creation like this—just bam, bam. God said it, and it was. But that's not how He made man. How did He make man from the from the ground? And then what's embedded in the cur- in the in the consequence? He said, "From the dust you came to the." Dust you shall return. Do you realize the grace in that is that rather than God making us from nothing and saying from to nothing you return, God said, I brought you from the dirt, so you'll return to the dirt because you have the hope of resurrection one day. I think about the the consequence upon Eve. He said, Now in childbirth, you're gonna have great pain. It's actually not childbirth, it's in child bearing, which that's two steps back from childbirth. What it's talking about is the relationship between man and woman is going to come with pain. And he says, You're going to want to rule over your husband. You're going to want to have control because your whole life is going to seem out of control. And that lack of control is going to bring you pain. And he ties it into this, this creation of the family. But what's the grace in that? That from the family one day is going to come the Messiah who will save us. It's called the Proto Evangelion, the first gospel that the seed of woman will crush the serpent's head. Well, women don't have a seed. They have a womb. And it's talking about the virgin birth, the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. Then he gets to Adam. And he says, here's the consequence for you, Adam. You're going to toil. You're going to labor. You're going to have frustration. It's going to be difficult for you to do the work that I've given you. Now, where's where's the grace in that? We kind of touched on this on Sunday. Is that I know that the heart of men is that if we found complete fulfillment and satisfaction in our work, we would never turn to God because we would much rather be God than turn to God. And we would much rather find fulfillment and satisfaction in our path than in God's path. But God knows that without him, we will have eternal damnation and suffering and separation from him. So he allows us to have difficulty in the work that we have we have, so that we would turn to him and say, God, I need you. You know, it's like when you let your child touch the, the thing that's hot so that they would now listen to you to realize I don't need to touch that thing that's hot. God sa- knows that our hearts, that we are not Inclined to listen to him so he allows us to experience some pain. So, next time you're experiencing some hard things, and we're going to talk about the book of James in September and October on Sundays. Next time you experience some hard things, realize that it might just be the grace of God allowing you to experience that pain so that you would avoid greater pain by being drawn into him. And so rather than getting mad at God and saying, why are you allowing this to happen? Say, God, maybe just saying, Lord, what are you trying to teach me to protect me, to draw me into you? And many of us, we have gotten, we've lost a job. We've got fired. We got laid off. We missed a promotion. We're really, really struggling with work. And what we do is we shake our fist at God and we're like, how dare you, God, let me be in this situation? How could you let me experience all this crap at my work? all this junk, all this pain, all this frustration. And God's like, dude, if I didn't let you go through this, you would never come to me. You would never depend on me. You wouldn't pray. You wouldn't seek me. You would just think you got it all together. And I know some men in our community who think that they got it all together and there's no need for God. And so God has embedded this grace in the difficulty of our work to allow us to depend on him. If we will if we'll listen to His voice and be drawn back to the God who wants to save us, the only one who can save us. So here's what I want to do for if you got to go to work, go to work. Um, it's five after, but I want to invite us to just five minutes of conversation around our tables. Three questions: w- What are you experiencing as a gift at your work? Number one. Number two, what is really, really difficult in the work that you have in this season of life? And number three, how is it that God is trying to draw you into him through those difficulties? So three questions. How how are you experiencing the gift of work? What's really hard about it? And how is God trying to draw you in through that? Just five minutes or so. All right.